Welcome back to Young Smart Money, show number 26 with me, your host, Apple Kreider, the show where we bring on young people who are doing cool stuff financially and entrepreneurially. Today, we have the CEO and founder of My Bank Tracker. It's an online website that's sort of, it's like a comparison tool that allows you to compare like banks, credit cards, loans, all that good stuff. We've got the CEO and founder on today to tell his story of how he started an internet business and really how he got his start way back when. Um, so it's, it's a cool story. I really enjoy it. And uh, without further ado, let's bring him on to Young Smart Money. All right, Jason, welcome to to Young Smart Money. I'm super glad to have you here today. Could you give our audience sort of a brief background on just who you are? Sure. Uh, thanks for having me, Apple. So sure. basically, I started a website called My Bank Tracker about 10 years ago with a couple of different founders. And My Bank Tracker, My Bank Tracker exists to help people save money. All right. I dig it. <laughs> so That's my main I, message. Perfect. So how did you get started? Is this the first business you've ever started or, or was there, is there some, some history behind that? And, and is this, are there other ventures that sort of came before this? Sure. Uh, that's a great question. So I've always been entrepreneurial minded. And so I started early on, like many kids, like had a lemonade stand for instance, right? Exactly. And yeah. it was just like, wanted to get the latest and greatest video game or something like that. And, and I just was like, I got to make money fast. And my dad was like, start a lemonade stand. And so <laughs> his kind of navigation and help, he was able to like kind of set it up for me in a way that I was just sitting out on my lonely street <laughs> selling lemonade. And so it wasn't a great plan overall simply because there was not that much traffic. It was like a small little suburban street that nobody yeah. went down really. <laughs> um, you know, it wasn't like even like a cut through street where lots of traffic was going to be. But it started me, actually, I started that and then I was like, maybe it was the lemonade. Not, so I did like fruit punch next time or something oh. like that. I was trying to like innovate on that. Right? <laughs> then um, from there, I had a baseball card stand. Ooh. I took over my entire, this is back when baseball cards and football cards and all those things were really uh, expensive and they were yeah. going up in price. They were, they were collectible. And now they're not so much, like certain cards still retain their value. But what I would, what I did is with the help of, again, family, right. they helped me set up like a little space that was attached to my house that I had the ability to kind of just put up a little sign in front that said baseball cards. And then people would walk in and they would buy my baseball cards. And I had a little cash register and stuff like, that. I mean, I was probably like 11 or 12. I had like a little cash register and all that stuff. That's an so, operation for a 12 year old. Wow. Then I went and this is kind of another crazy story. So back in 96, I was maybe 17 years old, I think. Um, in 1996, I started my first web company. Now, Ooh. yes, back when Netscape Navigator was a huge thing and IE like four had come out and it took like, I think it was like a, a two megabyte download and it took like four hours to download or something like that. It was, yeah. So I started a website company and I went door to door to all the local comp businesses. And I said, Hey, you guys have heard about websites. You need a website. Let me build one for you. And wow. right. Yeah. Right around this time, IBM actually was coming out with like, strangely enough, big blue IBM, right. You know, mm -hmm. high end consulting company came out with $500 websites and kind of like, killed me because I was going to the door and they're like, but IBM's advertising on, you know, TV and on the web and on radio, $500 websites. And they were like, why would I go with you versus IBM? 
you know? And I was like, ah, good point. <laughs> so I, I only got a few websites out of that, but it was, it was a cool learning experience, but I was only like, again, like 17, maybe 18 when I started that. How'd you get into websites at that young age when, when the internet was really just so young? Man, I, you know, kind of like, try to keep it PG, but it's like <laughs> bootleg. Like there's a lot of, I don't, piracy isn't the right word, but it okay. was like, it was, it was like the wild west. And so yeah. we had an AOL disc, you pop the AOL disc in, you get online because computers are starting to come with like modems and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I think what happened was I stumbled upon a few websites and, and somebody had like an HT, like W3 HTML seat at HTML checker at the bottom or something like that. And it said, check the HTML. And I clicked on it. I was like, Oh, what's all this? And I just started getting introduced to programming at the same time. Okay. And so those two things kind of collided where I was able to kind of use a little bit of programming experience to try to roll that into like making websites. And I made like basic websites from then on up. Huh. Really websites were the start of it. And then I moved on to Java applets. I was like making a lot of games. Oh, okay. you, like breakout and all those like, like old school arcade games. I would, I would be, I recreated them in Java applets, which was a thing, maybe 98, 99. Okay. Um, and then, you know, by that time I was in college, so there was a lot more like programming happening. Yeah. Were you, were you selling those games or were they just, just for little it projects was, for you? It was just a fun little project. I just wanted to know like what it was all about. And so you had to control the frame rate. You had to do collision detection, you know, things like that were really kind of just interesting to me. Huh. And so, uh, I went into video games for a little bit and then went to college where I, uh, I founded the video game development club at WPI, at Worcester Polytech, which is the university engineering school that I went to. Hmm. And they, you know, just like stayed pretty, pretty, pretty much like in video games. I interviewed at like Lucas Arts and stuff like that back then. Dang. But then it was the dot com boom. Yeah, it was ninety nine, <laughs> and so I was getting picked out of school, and I was a soft, maybe a junior. I must have been a junior because yeah. I was graduating and I was supposed to be graduating in 2000. And the reason why I didn't graduate in 2000 is because I got pulled out to go work at a consulting company. Oh, a lot of money. <laughs> and because they were hiring people off the street, they were like, yeah. if you can, if you can type, you can be a programmer. Basically. The money was just flowing in. Yeah. They, they all, the, all the, all stocks were going up. Right. And yeah. they had, they were flush with cash and they were like, let's yeah. hire as many people as we can to produce some kind of widget that whatever. <laughs> um, so we ended up, I ended up working consulting for a little bit, doing software in Java again. And then I, um, the dot-com bubble burst in yeah. 2001 was when I was let go. Jeez. Cause that was like the first, you know, last in first out, you know, kind yep. of thing. Yeah. So the day they called everybody into a room and this is a, uh, I don't know if it was global, but it was definitely a national company. They built the first e-commerce sites for like Best Buy and stuff like that. It was a really great high end wow. consulting firm. Yeah. And they called us all into a room and basically said, um, sorry guys, we love, we know we built this great company. We believed in like, it was going to go higher and higher, but turns out that's not the case. And so the bottom third, you're fired basically. Jeez. Yeah. They gave me a severance of a, I think it was like two months severance, which was a lot of money at the time. Yeah. And so I proceeded to, and this is where a lot of savings lessons come in. Mm-hmm. I proceeded to blow it all in one summer, had a lot of fun. Oh. And then all my peers, the people who I was working with went mm-hmm. back and were 
interviewing for jobs and some of them got other jobs. And I was like, ah, I'll get a job later. I'm like a talented engineer, like who has like, a, uh, you know, had, who has history and has already worked at a company and has like a year experience almost under his belt. I'll mm-hmm. find it on the job. No problem. And three months later, after summer was over, I started applying no jobs. Oh. It was, uh, it was all the people who were really diligent about going out and, and put, applying again that really scored those jobs, unfortunately for me. Jeez. So did you end up going back to school after that? Uh, yeah, I finished my degree. Uh, and so I graduated technically like 2001, uh, yeah. in, in, in that engineering school, they had like these major projects you had to work on. And so I finished my major project in, I believe the, yeah, uh, the spring, uh, section of 2001. And so I, after I graduated, I basically, uh, had to do a lot of things. I mean, this is kind of like the dot-com story that I think a lot of people went through. Mm-hmm. So I was a highly talented engineer. Well, I mean, I'm not trying to be, I'm trying to be a little <laughs> bit more modest, but I was a pretty good engineer and was working with the top consulting companies in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't Accenture, but it was a competitor to Accenture. Okay. And we, uh, and then when I got laid off, there's no jobs. And so after I graduated, I was like, okay, now I have my degree at least. And so I finished that out, whatever student loans I had to take out to get that done. I did, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which is a whole nother set of stories uh, yeah. of loans. And this was really when student loans were getting crazy because a lot of every year tuition was going up crazy back in those days and it's still continuing to rise. Yeah. The, um, so after graduating, I, became a mover. I moved furniture. Oh, wow. And broke my back for a little bit. Just like, I didn't physically break my back, broke my back, but I, it was really backbreaking work uh, for about a year. And then I found a professorship job. Uh, I was an adjunct professor at a local community college for a few years. And then around like 2005, when I was kind of starting to get back on my feet, the internet was back in full swing at that point. I'd missed yep. a few good years, 2003, 2004, where things were starting to crawl back up. In 2005, hiring was happening again. Mm-hmm. And so my buddy, my best friend who introduced me to like Roth IRAs, for instance, he's in financial services, was getting a job basically on Wall Street. And he was like, hey, you move, if you cut, uh, I have a job in New York City right now and you want to be my roommate. I was like, well, if I can find a job, I'll go with you. Yeah. And so I... Uh, I was able to score an interview within like, I scored three interviews within like a week, basically. <laughs> and yeah, even being out of work for so long, but yeah. have, being a professor and actually, I still continue to write code. Mm-hmm. Back in the dot-com days, and this is where we're going to get long-winded, but I'll try to keep it short. Okay. Back in the dot-com days, you had a lot of people who were just like, I know there's a lot of money in programming and being a software engineer. So they went into it knowing there's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I went into it because... I loved programming. That was simply, yeah. that's, the only thing I just, that's the only thing I wanted to do through the rest of my life was program something. Mm-hmm. And so after I ended up um, uh, going back into the industry, it was very easy to get a job because I, I interviewed really well and I had the skill set still. So yeah. got a job, moved into Manhattan with my best friend and, uh, and then proceeded to go through, you know, just hustling at that point because I had a full-time job, I was doing side hustles, I was doing everything it took basically to get my, to reverse that situation. Because at that point, I knew that like, I'm on my own. You know, my, I'm, a, I'm not gonna go crawling back to my parents and going to live yeah. with them. Like I'm living in Manhattan. 
Like I can't go back to like living in my parents' house. Yeah. So I did everything. And since my skills are in high demand, I was able to pick up side jobs um, uh, all year round. And so I ended up doing so many side jobs that one of the companies I was doing side jobs for hired me a year later and put me as the director of technology. Wow. So I went wow. from just like an engineer to the director of their entire thing within about a year. So I'm, my career accelerated at that point. Yeah. Wow. That's a big, that's a big jump. So and, from, from there, what, what happened? Say, yeah. I was going to say from there, basically I left that position, eventually made it to, this is an advertising agency. Okay. Um, and agency work, I was not adapted to agency work. And if you're familiar with the agency world, it's, Basically, it's digital agencies. It's not like we're doing print campaigns where we're yeah. like, we're like, um, you know, we're taking out full size, full page ads in like New York Times and stuff like that. Yeah. This is all digital because I came from the digital world. Exactly. And so we were building campaigns for uh, Fortune 500 companies and launching new experiences for them. And they promoted me up to CTO eventually. And there I met my future business partner, uh, who was the creative director. And so he had the creative chops, I had the technical chops. And since we were building all of these things already, yep. we were building awesome, you know, just beautiful websites, pixel perfect programming was on point. Everything was there. And we were building it for other people. And, you know, at one point we had like 10 or 13 clients and we we're just like, I, they'd call me and I'd be like, I don't know who I'm talking to. Like, what am I, what did, I, what did we promise them we were going to do today? And it got just overwhelming and, you know, sleeping under your desk and all that stuff. Um, you know, New York city agency, think of it that yeah. way. Then, uh, my creative, the creative director there, uh, and I left to go start our own thing, which was my bank tracker. And that was 2008. Wow. And you've been doing that ever since. Uh, yes. Uh, in the meantime, funny story about a year after we left. So April 1st, 2009 was the day we went full time on it. We technically had launched it like August, 2008, uh, just as like an experiment to say like, Hey, we're building things for other people. We can build cool things. We know that we know customers, we know consumers, let's build something for ourselves. And then 2000, April 1st, 2009, April fool's day is the reason why I remember it so well. We, um, we walked out, out of that office for the last time and about a year later, mm -hmm. we had people coming up to us and saying, Hey, you were the guys who built this and this and this, and I'm not going to name the specific projects I'd worked on, sure. but we were the ones who built those things. It was like the owners of the company sold them, but we built them and they wanted the people who were building them. And so we're, they came to us and said, Hey, can you build us something? Or could you do this? Could you do that? Can you, you know, can you launch this new website? Can you create this new app? And so this is around when apps were coming out and we were one of the first mobile first agencies at that point. So we started my bank tracker, but at the same time, one client turned into two, turned into three and all of a sudden we had a full blown agency again. Jeez. But it was our agency. Yeah. So we're running two companies basically. <laughs> God. Yeah. All right. And up until 2016, end of 2016, we officially split the companies. And then I became CEO of my bag tracker mm -hmm. and my other business partner, we have, there's three of us all together. Mm -hmm. um, Alex is running the agency right now. Did you and start with three? Some awesome stuff. Did you start my bank tracker with three of you or was it just the two? Um, we consider it three. It was close enough that basically the creative director and I, um, really good friend of mine taught us he 
and uh, he had the original concept. He's really a product person and I was yeah. a tech person. And so when yeah. we came together and launched it and you need those synergies when you're doing entrepreneurship, it's yeah. really great. Cause if you're not feeling it that day, you need that other person to motivate you to get you out of bed because we weren't paying ourselves for the first six months or so after this, we had a little bit of a nest egg, each of us, because mm -hmm. we were high paid agency, you know, executives at that point, yeah. we top of the top of the food chain there. And so we had a little bit of buffer. And so we saved that so we could take that risk where we took like six months to basically prove this out. And around six months, the third business partner came in because we started finally cutting checks. All right. So I'm assuming that's, that's no outside funding. No outside funding fully bootstrapped. Okay. okay. Yeah, we've been profitable since day one. Ally, when they first launched, they were known as GMAC. Okay. Ally launches, and everybody knows Ally now. Yeah. Ally launches in 2009, and they were using the data from our site. We powered their data when it came to comparing rates. Wow. It was one of the things that Progressive Insurance also was doing at the time, mm -hmm. uh, which we didn't power the data for them, but... Uh, when we powered the data for Ally, if you talk, if you go to Ally's website, even to this day, you'll see that the rates, when you compare them against, you know, um, uh, Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, all those things, mm -hmm. that's powered by my bank tracker still. So really? Years we've, been, we've been with that client, but they were the ones who first, one of our first contracts on the data side, especially it was absolutely the first contract and we were profitable ever since. Wow. So as far as, as far as the business model goes for my bank tracker, how, how were you guys making money at first? Like where was, where were your revenue sources? Yeah. So in the beginning it was data licensing, right? That was okay. basically providing ally bank with, um, with data to power their comparison experience after, well, during that whole process, Alex, the third partner who had just joined us was really in the, uh, the media side of things. And what that means is, ads basically right? right and so he was starting to go out and do cold calls cold emails to actually get advertisers onto our site mm. and so he that's one of the reasons why he was needed was because of that we could build something for, for a consumer yeah my other business partner and i but getting people there was a different story right mm. and so we had to we did ads and you know we really built up relationships with other advertisers and um, Ally Bank, for instance, was one of, also one of our first partners who started doing um, the affiliate marketing with us. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then, so that slowly became much larger than the data side of things. You know, it was great. So data, uh, when we first started with Ally, the, they were considered a whale. It was a term we typically would use in the agency world, right? If you have any one client that is taking up like more than 40%, 30, 40% of your revenue coming yeah. in. If you lose them, you're down 30, 40%, right? That's a whale. You have to diversify. And so what we ended up doing was diversifying out to all the affiliate marketing side of things. And so, you know, working with Ally, we worked with Chase, we worked with a lot of uh, companies and then we eventually started to crack the formula of like how it actually, how to generate uh, profit from all these things. Hmm. And so, uh, prime, like now we're about 90% um, affiliate marketing. Okay. Where it's, you know, it's not a sexy term. It's the middleman, right? You're connecting, yeah. but it's a, it's a valuable resource because you always are going to be, when you're comparison shopping, you're always going to be looking for a third party. You don't want to go to Ally and just no. trust everything that they say, that they want you to trust everything they say. And of course, everything has to be factual because mm -hmm. there's regulations involved. But, you know, marketing is one of those things that uh, people fall prey to all the time, uh, which, of course, goes into other things where if you've got 
you know, tons of disposable income, it's great. But if you have a little bit of disposable income and you want that new shiny thing, like a new iPhone and iPhones now cost $1,200, it's very easy to get sucked into that marketing, right? So you always need a comparison website. That's one of the things that I loved about the internet from the beginning is that it, you don't have to take a third, you don't have to take their word for it. You can look for reviews. You can look for an independent party's perspective on all of it. And so that's where we fit and still fit today. Yeah. So now you guys are doing a little bit more than just banks, right? Like there's other stuff than just bank accounts on your website. Yes. And so we track, um, I mean, banks is kind of our overarching thing. There are, uh, all different lenders, for instance. So all these new lenders are coming out like SoFi, Avant, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You'll find a number of those on our site as well. Uh, Prosper, Lending Club, et cetera. Mm-hmm. The, um, and so outside of that, you're also, you know, there are other, there are other more innovative uh, banks out there. I keep on saying banks, but in reality, it's just, they're all considered banks to me because they're all clients of ours. Just like yeah. that. my bank tracker. It's always like, yeah, that kind of is the way I speak to them. But there are, uh, you know, there's more intricate things like credit score stuff that we, you know, that we promote. Uh, obviously, knowing your credit score is very important. There's free mm-hmm. credit score stuff that we, we always talk about. Um, you know, really what we're trying to do is empower and educate the, the consumer. We always, our big mission is really, we know that there's a financial gap. I mean, a financial knowledge gap when yeah. people are you know going through their careers and so if you're 18 19 years old you just graduated graduated high school and now you're getting into trying to figure out you know or you probably maybe you've already selected your college but maybe you're going to college in madison and you're like i'm from california and i'm going to madison i actually don't know is there a bank around me like i don't know how to like bridge that gap so you know you can use comparison web- website to find a bank that's close to you to you know open that account but when you're doing that, it's really about the education process of saying, okay, take that disposable income and now put it somewhere. Mm. You know, we'd like to say is you can pay your present you or you can pay your, yourself in the future, your future you. Mm. So um, I'd mentioned earlier, but my best friend had introduced me to Roth IRAs. Yeah. And then it was like 3500 maybe like $4,000 um, of post-tax income you could put into it at that time. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it must have been like 2002, 2003. And he introduced it, it to me just at the right time when I started thinking about those things. And maybe I was like 23 years, 22, 23 years old, which is too late to really understand all those things. It's never too late. But for me, I feel like I'm so far behind because I only learned it so late where I love how everything's happening now where um, uh, YouTube videos like your yep. Apple that are out there educating people today is, you know, and this is what I love to say to my kids, you know, it's that old adage, when's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. 20, yep, exactly. Second best time right now. Exactly. Exactly. So you guys are also giving people resources, right? I mean, you guys have a blog going on where you're also providing content as well. So it's not just a comparison tool. It's also a way to, to, to give people information and teach people about things like Roth IRAs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really, I think that's, that's a great, a great initiative that you guys are working on as well. Um, when did that get started? So we started, you're right. hundred percent. We started with rate tables in the beginning, right? We were like, we only want to provide data. That's yeah. kind of ally kind of influenced us from the beginning to say data is where the money was. We were like, let's keep on going on that. But slowly you start to realize that search engines could obviously provide a lot of inbound traffic as well. And so we started to create content maybe like 2011, 
Okay. 2010, 2011. So a few years later, we didn't originally start doing it because we, we weren't editorial people, right? Sure. We didn't understand content. We knew a little bit about SEO coming from the agency world, but not nearly as much as we do now. Mm-hmm. And so we started content around like 2011, 2012, and we were getting rewarded immediately from Google because yeah. they loved our content, you know? And so to this day, you know, although we've cleaned up a lot of our content um, due to some search and SEO optimization stuff, because mm-hmm. um, before we used to have like a lot of smaller articles that were just like news focused or like, oh, this happened and it's only, basically it had a, it was the difference between, you know, breaking news and evergreen articles. Yep. And we were very much in the breaking news side. And so we broke news like, you know, after the financial crisis, we broke the news that Bank of America was now starting to charge people again for checking accounts, which it hadn't happened in a while. $5 a month for a checking account. Like, what's that all about, right? This came back in. And so we broke that news and we got a lot of traffic for that. But as we developed our content, we found that we were better suited to Evergreen. And so we, at, when we were producing the news stories, we probably had like 10 or 12 full-time editorial staff. Wow. We, we had blown up to like 30 people and 10, yeah. oh, 10 of them probably were editorial at that point. And we said, well, we're not really news focused. We really should be thinking about the long tail, right? In the long term. And yeah. so green content really came into focus. And so we started to change that a little bit. And then we kind of just trashed a lot of those old articles that were just thin and not really valuable anymore. Mm-hmm. Historically, they're valuable. But at the same time, like Wall Street Journal also wrote about it. Like yeah. let, 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 they'll take the credit from now on. It's okay. Mm-hmm. And we, um, we would end up with a long-term play with really built around financial education and making sure that it doesn't matter what age you are, if you're reading these articles, you're taking the first step. Mm, that's so big. Taking the first step is, is so huge. So what have been, yeah. Oh, terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Um, what have some of your biggest articles been over the years? Um, what have your most successful articles been? Some of our most successful articles came out of nowhere. It just came out of like some random idea like um, check caching because everybody wants to know when their uh, check will clear. Mm-hmm. So you go to your bank and, you know, and back then I had Chase. I would go to Chase Bank and I put the check in there. It, how long does it take to clear? You could ask the teller. But then if you forget to ask, you have to go back to Google and ask like when, does <laughs> that, you know, when will my check clear? And then we created an article that basically for all for like the top – 20, I think, banks on our site. We listed all of the terms around it. Wow. That was a big one. The other big one was coin counting. Mm. So coin counters were a huge thing back in the day. Like TD had the Penny Arcade, I think it was called, where you'd bring in a bucket full of coins, you'd dump into this, into this machine, yeah. <laughs> and you would, it would count your coins for you, and it'd give you a slip, and you just deposit it right into the bank account. Well, TD, if you were a TD customer at that point, it was free. Mm-hmm. Um, but they actually all, they ripped them all out. Because really? they were shortchanging people and they didn't want the liability of it's a mechanical machine. Like it's not really going to be perfect. And if you're okay with imperfection with, you know, 50 cents plus yeah. or minus, and you have like a hundred dollars worth of coins going into this thing, it's almost like an extra fee. Like, okay, you paid a dollar because, mm-hmm. you know, or TD maybe could have, you know, rounded up a little bit more. Who knows? Yeah. But at the end of the day, there was imperfections in the system. And so they ended up, um, taking them out of the branches, which is sad. Uh, and some other places still have them. And then there's uh, like Coinstar and stuff like that. So that article went really uh, viral as well. We were able to get a significant amount of traffic from that one because 
every day people are still finding, trying to find these coin counters. And that's been a top article since like 2013 or something like that. Wild. Wild. I I remember those things as a kid. I had a milk jug that I would fill with coins. Every time I got spare change, I would just put it in there. Um, And I remember taking it to the bank. And I think I I went to U.S. Bank maybe and they had one of these. I don't know. It was either U.S. Bank or TCF and they had one of these. And that was just like a big Mm -hmm. monumental experience for my childhood. So I can see why why people would go for that. Um, Oh, what's happening here? Your free meeting will end in 10 minutes. Oh, we've been, it's a 40 minute limit for. um, Oh, for more than one person. I see. Okay, cool. I will keep that in mind. All right. So I think what we should do is hit on some of the most common banking mistakes that young people should avoid. Um, and then we'll close off with you having a call to action. Sure. That's good. Cool. All right. So going off of that, I know one of the things you talk about a fair bit and you recorded an article recently on, on a similar topic um, is some of the biggest banking mistakes that young people are making. And since this audience is primarily young people, could you give us an overview of maybe some of the top uh, banking or just savings mistakes that young people are making and what we can do to sort of combat those and improve on our habits. Sure. I'll caveat this entire section with you have to educate yourself. Yes. Uh, There is so many things I could name off the top of my head right now. I'm sure. Some some of the big ones are going to be around, um, you know, if you are opening your first checking account, Do your best to avoid any fees. Yeah. Fees will rack up and they'll just destroy your return. People are talking about how savings accounts are now over 2% return. Well, if you get charged a $12 a monthly fee just for holding the account in a checking account, for instance, that's a negative 12% return on your money. Like You have to make sure that you are aware of your fees. And so what I'd like to encourage people to do is always look back like to three months of your statements and mm-hmm. see, see any of these little fees. Mm-hmm. And you'll also probably find some spending in there that you probably get rid of. Like when's the last time you went to the gym and you every month you're getting hit with like $60 gym fees, right? Yeah. That's really probably the biggest mistakes people make is just fees and subscriptions they no longer actually use. Then um, another big one is probably going to be around education side, like educating yourself about, paying your future you, uh, ultimately. And so, you know, I took a big chance when I put money into a Roth IRA. Now the Roth IRA has since grown like fourfold or something like that compared to what I put into it, even back in 2002. Um, and that was 16 years, right? It was like maybe threefold, three or fourfold. And I'm not paying, like that money is locked up until my sixties. Yeah. That is really hard to understand when you're 19, 20 years old, saying like, okay, I'm going to take, I think the new limit is 5,500, maybe 5,500. So $5,500 of your post-tax income into a Roth IRA, that could be really scary. $5,500, you're like, I can get like a brand new used car or I can, you know, I could get the iPhone, right? And so it's about that, the self-constraint, you kind of have to fight with yourself over that. And that of course includes a lot of peer pressure, like if your friend got the new iPhone, you're like, oh, my phone's looking a little bit, right now, a little bit dingy. Um, so those things, it's you know, or you know, especially if you're over 21 and you're going out to the bar, you're going out. And this is something that, again, earlier in my conversation with you, I talked about how I got a two month severance from that consulting company and I proceeded to blow it over a period of summer, and that was a lot of money. Just because I knew it was coming. I was like, it's always going to be coming. It's always going to be coming. I'm talented and people want to pay me money. I'm going to always be in, in, in a career. 
So I took that for granted and I spent all the money. And But think about from this perspective, even if you didn't get that severance, you got your paycheck and maybe you get paid $50 hours, um, you know, every paycheck clear. Mm-hmm. You take that 1500 and you're like, oh, I can get like the new iPhone for 1200 right? Or you're just like, that's eh, 1500 I won't do that. But I go to the bar every weekend with my buddy or with my friends and you drop $100, $150, $200 at the bar because you're trying to impress the girls and all that stuff. What if you just went there and just didn't drink, right? Yeah. And that would save you other things too, like <laughs> your health and all these things because alcohol is like really, really not good for you, even in moderation. Mm-hmm. So, and I know a lot of kids don't probably want to hear that, but uh, I feel that education and really trying to understand where your money is going in and out, you know, and the big thing, especially in like the financial independence community is really about earn more, spend less, right. And making that margin grow in between. Yep. And so if you're able to expand that margin, meaning if you don't go into the whole lifestyle creep, you know, you got your first job and all of a sudden you're like, I can buy an, I can get an apartment. Okay. Yep. You can get the apartment, you know, but maybe be reasonable with it. You don't have to get like, the 1200 square foot one bedroom in Manhattan, which is kind of three grand a month, you can instead get like, you know, a studio or whatever and live out in Queens. Mm-hmm. You, um, but there are, so there are some things you can say that you should get if you really feel like you need to kind of have that independence. Mm-hmm. With that said, you have to be really careful about where your money is going after that point. After the, after all your real expenses are taken care of, like your utility bills, um, you know, to a certain extent, your mobile phone and things like that, mm-hmm. you have to make sure everything else is in check. And that's really what it is all about is looking back three months, looking through all your statements and saying like, oh, here's a bunch of wasteful spending. I could have put that in an IRA or hopefully we're talking about if you have a good employer, like a 401k with a match. And yeah. Stuff like that, right. And the great thing about 401ks is you never see it, right? You, you set it up and your paycheck is your paycheck and you're like, oh, that's how much money I have to spend. But in reality, yep. they took some out already. Exactly. Exactly. When you just have that automatically deducted, like just tell yourself there's, there's an additional 20% tax and you have to figure out a way to work with it. And that 20% is just going into the 401k and you don't it's, have to think about it. Exactly. It's better, it's better if you set it up right in the beginning. So you just never, yep. you can, you know, yeah, the yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right. So um, I got one quick question for you before we wrap up. And um, that is, are there any books in particular that have had a big impact on you or you think that are very beneficial when it comes to personal finance? Uh, when it comes to personal finance, I mean, Vicki Robbins, Your Money, Your Life is probably the gold standard. Uh, and that came out years ago. And I believe yeah. there's a new version out, which uh, just came out last year or maybe this year. So that's kind of like the gold standard. Uh, I would love to plug a, a bunch of my friends here. Sure. Uh, when it comes to... <laughs> Well, there's so many awesome books that are getting uh, that, that are being released, mm-hmm. and the interesting thing that's happening right now in this particular scene um, is instead of the whole mantra of make more money and spend less, people are now starting to think about well, it's not that black and white for a lot of people, and so it's more of a lifestyle change. Yeah, that's exactly. the evolution of kind of where this is happening right now. It's like you have to change your lifestyle. It's a lifestyle issue. It's not necessarily like you don't get enough money because people can retire on a lot less money than you think. Yeah. Um, so and so there's a lot of books around that. Then when it comes to, uh, you know, outside of personal finance, a lot of the Malcolm Gladwell books oh, kind of yeah. opened my eyes when I was, you know, in my 20s when I was trying to figure out like who I am and what the world even is. 
Yeah. It was really, really important. Um, and so even things like Liar's Poker um, were a great book where it kind of is a fictional-ish based on a true story kind of how uh, the world really works, right? And, you know, so, and uh, there's, there's, there's so many, there's so many great novels out there that when it comes to kind of like, in your, especially in your early 20s, trying to figure out who you are and how the world works, there's a ton of books out there that will kind of give you those insights. Mm. And then uh, for the rest, for the personal finance side, yeah. me, money or life is really like still the gold standard. Yeah. All right. Um, last thing, where can people find out more about you and about my bank tracker? So we're, all, we're everywhere social, uh, but primarily through our website is mybanktracker.com. And uh, my bank tracker exists too help you spend less money, save more money in all the things we talked about today. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jason, for your time. I appreciate you being here on Young Smart Money today. Um, and, and I'll definitely link up all those resources that you mentioned, all those books and your website, your social, all that good stuff in the show notes for this episode. Thanks again for your time. And I, I, I got a lot of this conversation and I know our listeners did as well. Great. Thanks, Apple. Guys, thank you so much for sticking around. I hope you got a ton of value out of Jason's story and all of the valuable information that he shared. If you did, do consider leaving us a review on iTunes. They really do count, and I really appreciate each and every one of the reviews that you guys do leave us. I take them all to heart and implement everything that you guys suggest, so definitely consider leaving a review on Young Smart Money. Without further ado, my name is Apple Kreider, and I will see you on Friday.